Stop, criminal scum! You violated the law! Oh, how's Bear World? dangerous oh yeah you got your shotgun oh my gosh you have a gun yeah i, pay, I just picked it up what it's not safe anymore yeah so it's it's perfect timing because last night there was um there was an incident at this bar that's like right down the street from us in that little kind of shopping center that's across from our, our complex where i guess like a police car like drove up to the front of the bar because they have the whole outside deal going on right now. And um, a couple of suspects bolted away and ran into our neighborhood. Oh. And there was like a helicopter overhead searching for them for like no joke two hours until yep. it had to actually go back and like refuel and stuff. And That's yeah, how like, that goes. And so like we were just like, oh my gosh, you're still circling overhead. And like Mia was checking like because she's uh, on next door. And so we were seeing like people posting updates and there was updates from like the sheriff and all that. And like they caught two of the guys and one of them was able to elude them for like hours. And then at like at, I think at 116, they were putting out the notice like we were able to get the two, but the third subject or he's he's apprehended us. We're packing up, getting ready to get out. And then, like, 16 minutes later, they updated again. They're like, just when we were about to leave, one of the officers spotted him and was able to apprehend him. So they were able to catch all three of them. Nice. But, um, yeah, they actually found a couple guns on them and stuff, too. So. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. When they flee into a residential neighborhood, it can take a long time for the police to catch them. Yeah. Uh, when I was a, a kid, apparently a... um. The Orange County rapist or something ended up in my neighborhood, um, which oh, shit. like my neighborhood is decently far from the bad areas of, of Long Beach. But apparently, like the, the, the cops had dogs and were searching my backyard at one point and <laughs> they got freaked out when their dogs started barking at my rabbit. Oh, oh <laughs> um, no. And they actually ended up catching the guy at my friend's house down the street. Oh, wow. But they were they definitely spent like three or four hours in the neighborhood before they found him. Dang. That's crazy. So if you're a criminal, go hide in someone's backyard. They ain't finding you. It'll at least give you time to make a plan. They were um they were like saying stuff out of the helicopter with their like intercom. Yeah. But they should have done next <laughs> I just want a, a police helicopter to start just blasting the oblivion guard, just dialogue out of the <laughs> helicopter. <laughs> Stop, criminal, criminal scum. scum. You violated the law. <laughs> I think that happened when I was living at um, the apartments in Lakewood. Like mm. one afternoon, Becca was over with Eleanor and we had a play date. And then all of a sudden I hear helicopters above the apartment and they're like, everyone lock your windows and doors. There's an escaped convict on the loose. <laughs> it was so scary. Yeah. But yeah, they were flying around for a few hours trying to find him. I feel like that's the sort of situation where Rebecca would have uh, spent the whole time talking about how not scared she was. She was actually kind of scared. Really? Wow. Yeah, well, because we were both alone with our babies. It was but during the day. Nothing ever phases Rebecca. <laughs> I think last time I was talking right? to her, she was um, telling me about one time when she was back in New Mexico. She had um, 
she had pleasant dealings with a cop because there was like some I think college kids like started firing off rounds and so they had to like they had to come and like I think she asked them some questions and stuff and they were reassuring and helpful yeah I feel like she puts on a brave face but she's she's definitely honest about like when she's facing grief or loneliness and things like that I've actually started writing to her as one of my pen pals that's nice yeah it's been really good she said that's been really good for her as well to put her thoughts down so i need to write her back i think uh i think living with her may have prevented me from ever getting that close like a friendship with her because there were definitely some things that she did that annoyed me and i knew that it was unreasonable to be annoyed by them so i didn't say anything but J West definitely picked up on it, and I think he talked to her about it. And so I think she stopped doing those things because I was annoyed. And she probably doesn't like me so much because of that. Well, I feel like that's typical with anyone that has roommates. Like, there's always going to be roommate problems no matter how well you know someone, you know? It's a whole different dynamic. Like, I mean, when I lived with you, uh, my biggest problem was definitely, like, the cleanliness. Yes. And that's something that could have been resolved very easily. But, you know, it is what it is, and I couldn't get over that, and so I just left. (laughs) At least she was respectful and stopped doing what annoyed you. (laughs) Sure, I I mean, I can appreciate that. I feel bad about it, though, because I never never wanted her to... Because it was was, um, practicing piano and singing. Like, these are things that I I fully understand. I played trumpet for ten years. You gotta practice, and, you know, you also enjoy playing music i get it and so i i understood that it, it wasn't reasonable for me to be annoyed by these things and so i didn't want her to stop doing them but i think jay west talked to her about it um and so she stopped i think something that um has really gotten lost in translation especially now i mean i appreciate first of all that like mental health has become more like mainstream and less stigmatized but so many people are concentrating on depression that they are not recognizing the ties that anger has into it as well. Mm. And it's not a question of like necessarily why you're angry, but it's at the core value of like what it is, like the trauma in your past life that causes those triggers. Sure. And for me, I recognize that when I was in that deep, deep, deep depression period, that eventually I recognized, like, oh, my anger is linked to it, and they tie into each other. And then ever since I did that and started working on it, like, things have just been dramatically better. Absolutely. The things that used to annoy me no longer annoy me as quickly. And I have that a longer pause between the events that occurs and the reaction that I have. So I can analyze it and decide how I want to react. That's good. That's That's some good cognitive behavioral therapy you got going on there. Yeah, I've only been reading psychology books for the last three years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, with any... Like, depression is... is it's, it's like an emotional disorder. So emotions are going to tie into it in a lot of ways. It's going to make them worse, and they're going to make it worse. And you have to be uh, tackling it on all fronts, really. Yeah, you really have to, like... You, it's not just, you know, keeping yourself happy. There's so much to dealing with depression, anxiety... Uh, anger, all all those kinds of things. And depression can rear its head in very different ways in different people. Like you said, it makes you angry. Uh, Mac, for me, it 
just makes me uh, like not want to do anything um, and uh, very passive um, and very like will do anything to please other people kind of thing. I feel that. I, yeah. Because I can't, I can't make myself happy, so I can at least do things for other people. So like, but yeah, managing your depression, like there's, you know, the chemical imbalances that uh, you might have that you need to figure out, which that can neither be, you know, pharmaceuticals to drugs to, uh, you know, exercising to manage your, manage your chemicals better. You also have, you know, stuff that you can read or, you know, meditating and be being cognizant of what what your thought processes and triggers are so you can be like hey this thing that you're doing i know is triggering me and is unreasonable for it to be triggering me so i'm gonna let it side or i'm gonna go do something else because there's this thing that is triggering me and i'm gonna redirect myself to not be dealing with something that triggers me exactly um, you know the fears and stuff that is this what we're talking about are we going to talk about mental health tonight you started it. I mean, I know. we all started it. I like it. how it's okay. normalized depression is getting, though, because I feel like I can really talk about it maybe even like 10 years ago. And especially for women, I know back in the day, if like we talked about being depressed, you were just considered crazy. Yeah. For men, too, especially for men, I feel like for the longest time, men were not allowed to express these feelings of disconnection, loneliness, any anything trauma-related, we're expected to just kind of like swallow it. Even still, we are. Um, I actually was introduced by this girl I've been talking to, to this um, this uh, therapist, an author, and he's a professor and a professional speaker, as well as a reverend. And he focuses primarily on like sexual trauma and religious intersection with spirituality. But he has a lot of pieces on like toxic masculinity, and one of the biggest things that he focuses on is the idea that every single person that has like anger issues or depression, in some way or form, has most likely been sexually abused. And the term sexual abuse, you know, people think that means like rape or being touched inappropriately, and you know, it does. But it also can be belittling somebody or being belittled, you know, like being in a locker room and then someone makes fun of your body. They sexualize you in that way and they abuse you in that way and it breaks you down and then that becomes your trauma and you carry it with you. That's why it's so important to take time to analyze yourself and try and determine your history. And, uh, you know, it's scary to do those kind of things because you're trying to you're bearing up the past that you subconsciously hid away. But by doing things like that, you become more capable of removing yourself from these triggering situations. And I know for me, uh, when I do that, I also remove my lenses that I have in the world. I have a lot of rules for myself, and I know you do as well, Boots. Yeah. But like, if we can remove ourselves from the situation, then we remove our lenses as well, and then it removes the judgment that we might be casting onto others and our projections, and becomes more tolerable to exist and to continue through the world if that makes any sense. Sure. Yeah, our projections can be a, a devil on ourselves and on our world. Um, and that's something that I've become very cognizant of lately is things that I've projected about myself onto others and how that has altered my interactions with them as well as made me not deal with things 
necessarily as quickly as I probably could have because I put it on like put it on the other rather than being like no actually that's me that makes sense the reason they're acting that way is because I'm basically I, I'm doing that to them um, and so obviously that's why it's reflecting back and hitting me so I'm assuming everyone here has faced depression at some point in their life oh, oh yeah no, I've never been impressed. Not once. For you guys, did it start like as start up in your childhood or as an adult? Definitely childhood for me. I feel like I've had depression my entire life since I was a toddler. Like my earliest memory being depressed was like four years old. Yeah. I just remember like locking myself in the bathroom and just crying because I hated myself and I didn't want to be me. At yeah. four? As a toddler? Yeah, and actually my mom remembers this. Like, I I took a razor and I just started cutting myself. At four? Yes, I was four years old. You had access to razors when you were four? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is on your mom, clearly. Well, yeah, clearly. <laughs> uh, I mean, mine wasn't quite as, quite as severe, but I think I was five or six, and... I remember walking, we had a mirror at the bottom of our stairs and I remember walking down and standing in front of that mirror for I don't know how long and then like spitting on my, the image of myself uh, and then getting like yelled at by, we were having some people work on our house for some reason, I forget why. But like, I remember spitting on myself and then getting yelled at like, you shouldn't spit on yourself. You, And I remember like the reason I spit on myself is because I felt I was worthless. And, Dang. Yeah. yeah. That's... There's, uh, I want to hug you right like now, man. That's like five, five or six. Like, fuck, man. I mean, I'm I'm genetically predisposed to have depression. Like, it, it runs in my family, fucking everywhere. Um, but mine has always been very, very internal. I know that when I was about eight years old, I started having um, thoughts of suicide that became a daily occurrence until my uh, mid to late twenties, where I am now. But it was never like an outward thing there was no no spitting on mirrors or or cutting myself or anything like especially at such a young age that seems so foreign to me yeah i mean i would attribute mine to having four older siblings that and then my parents being very much in a like when i was younger very argumentative not argumentative but like arguing all the time and i internalized that as like my fault uh and then also having older siblings that were doing all of these things and i was just you know tagging along observing and wasn't doing like really any of my anything of my own um until like seven or eight a similar upbringing because i too have uh four older siblings that would just pick on me and they would do horrible things and my parents were always fighting they'd never paid attention and they were so wrapped up in their own problems that they didn't realize. Well, you know where all that comes from, right? When an abuser decides to take away your power by doing that, it's because they feel like they lack it themselves. So it's it's a power structure. And I'm kind of glad that I went through what I did because now I know, you know, I have a really good relationship with my husband and I know what I don't want in a relationship. Yeah 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 like that was when mel and i broke up that was something that i was like hey mel i i realize we're fighting all the time and i know what we're fighting about but like 
let's figure out some like let's find some compromises and like let's like work on this and um that was like her like being like yeah no i'm done working on it Mm. we're done the thing is with when you try and hold space for somebody else you can't do it unless you can hold space for yourself and you can't help somebody that isn't willing to put in the work themselves either and i it's so heartbreaking to see something like that because you just want to see your friends or your families or your, your loved ones really just take care of themselves and if it comes back to the old saying if you could only see yourself through my eyes you would see the world differently anyway toxic masculinity it's uh it's real bullshit i heard a a very interesting take on toxic masculinity today on a podcast where um somebody proposed the idea that it stems from like the origins of it stem from suffrage for women um where um when women were protesting or they're denying their husbands like sex and stuff in their marriage that like it's it's uh (laughs) <laughs> men got so bitter about that that they carried it themselves and they began to hate women even more than they probably already did because of it and that's what led to toxic masculinity what do you guys think about that so, so the precursors to incels basically <laughs> oh my gosh that's my older brother <laughs> but he's always had problems especially i think it comes down to my mom because she was she was kind of verbally abusive with him and he just always hated women That'll do it. Like, yeah. speaking from experience. I admittedly... You, oh, go ahead, Boots. <laughs> no, no, you go, first. Go ahead, man. <laughs> That's fine. No, no, please. After you, friend. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> a lot of the uh, the issues that I've had with... That I had with um, Rebecca and that I've had with a lot of, like, female friends came definitely from, from my issues with my mother because she was mentally slash verbally abusive uh and so like little mannerisms that are extraordinarily common in women uh would just like set me off in my brain and i would have to talk myself down from getting angry at these stupid little things like people people tilting their head to emote like like uh, i can't think of a good example I know what you're talking about. I know okay. what you're talking about. Like the, yeah. like the puppy dog thing when they like they tilt their head and like it's like, like oh yeah yes oh. It, it yeah hisses me off at a very very deep <laughs> level and I have to like tell myself that's that's not an issue that they have that's an issue that I have and I gotta let that shit go I have to do that every time yeah so I I understand like uh, getting getting this weird uh misogyny from mother issues mother issues parental issues a lot of it i feel or my perspective comes down to lack of intimacy when you're a child like for example you you know how there's that joke where it's like oh you didn't get hugged enough as a child it's like yeah hell yeah of course i didn't get hugged enough as a child why do you think i'm this way like why do you think i have so much trouble expressing myself my needs um, in such a way to where it's healthy and that I can make people understand because at our core as human beings emotionally we want to be seen we want to be recognized for who we are and we want to be recognized beyond our own understanding of who we are and that can only be achieved by expressing ourselves there's this this beautiful saying this beautiful saying about um, how evil just wants you to stay silent how evil just wants you to be in darkness but the only way to dissipate darkness is by shining a light on it. That sounds like something I would read in the Bible. It is very biblical. 
I mean, religion to me is more than just a church. You know, it's more than just going to a church. For me, my church is going outside. It's feeling whole. And spirituality ties into that in the way that it's recognizing your own self-worth and recognizing how to love yourself, which, you know, admittedly, I'm still working on that. But that's what the Bible is as well. A lot of people look at the Bible and they want to just toss it out the window because they have problems with religion or like structured religion in like the church itself. And that's fair. I mean, the church has done some really terrible things, terrible things, even now, like perpetuating terrible cultural stereotypes and stigmas. Not all are that way, admittedly. But, you know, if you look at the Bible and you read it differently and separately from a church, then it's really just learning how to accept yourself and recognizing morality and accepting the idea that the people around you have value and you have just as much value as they do. Yes. Uh, so I might derail the subject here for a second. I, well, do. I don't know if necessarily derail, but um, so if you want to go and say your piece first, Boots, go ahead. But I was just going to say that Max said that his religion involves going out to nature. That is his religion. It reminded me earlier in the day I was watching an episode of Bob's Burgers where they commit fraud <laughs> by tax fraud by um, creating the religion aquaticism oh, that's and trying funny. to establish the aquarium as a religious uh, place of worship. And I loved that. I would absolutely join aquaticism if it meant that I could go to an aquarium for free on Sundays. Like, that sounds like such a great <laughs> religion. Cool. Tina has this whole thing about how you, you put your hands in the touch tank and you touch a starfish and, you know, all of your problems wash away in the cool water of the tank. And it was great. Yeah. That's amazing. That sounds great. So on the topic of, you know, where uh, where you find your religion, church and all that all that jazz, one of the big things with, with, with Jesus was he would go into temples and be like, what the fuck are you guys doing with all these idols, all this bullshit? and you know bring in the prostitutes the destitute the whatever and hold worship hold church with them church was never meant to be a you know a physical place where you go church is wherever you worship so like i could you know sit get down on my knees and you know pray to my god uh and, and this would be my church because this is where i'm worshiping like church uh what's the right word for this standardized religion uh, as we know it today Christianity uh, is a bastardization of the of the religion religion itself because it is giving undue power to people who are you know just like everybody else on this planet for simply being anointed by God like here we have Jesus Christ like supposedly God's son and able to cure all these things malaria the uh paralyzation all this all this stuff and he doesn't have some you know godly house of worship no the guy's a fucking carpenter and is basically homeless 90 percent of his life and so my roundabout way of saying is church is wherever you worship and religion is whatever you fucking hold in your heart to care what like part is caring about others and the other thing is like your understanding, I would get say, of the world and how it and how you interact with it. Are you guys familiar with uh, Rudy Francisco, the Absolutely. poet? Absolutely. I liked um, 
He had the poem called Chameleon. Whoa, 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 yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, Chameleon. But the the... <laughs> what is this, uh, what is this uh, poet's name? Rudy Francisco. His name is Rudy Francisco, and he has this wonderful poem cut called A Few Things I Believe, and uh, I actually just had to pull it up because it ties in so perfectly with this, where the last stanza is, I believe magic is easier to digest than medicine. A good song can turn any room into a church, and Whitney Houston's voice is all the proof I need to know God exists. And it's just like, oh God, it's so choice. It's it's such a good choice of word. He's such a good poet. It makes so much sense why he's won so many awards. If you ever want to cry, but, I've got three poems by Omar Holman that will <laughs> destroy you. I recall back when I was on my big poetry kick, really liking Rudy Francisco at the beginning of his poems and then getting tired of him by the end because a lot of them ended with him just being like, women, I'm sorry for the way men have treated you. I will be better. Like, I, it felt so forced and corny. I understand the, the, the desire to, like, atone, I guess, for the mistakes that people have made and like the abuse that people have done but the way that he did it just seemed like someone trying to pick up girls by saying he'll be better than their exes that's just how it came off to me it sounds pretty cheesy yeah it's pretty cheese but i mean like that doesn't i don't know why why did you feel that way do you have a problem with him talking that way it's i mean it's not um I don't disagree with the message at all. I I just like it doesn't seem genuine. Yeah, yeah it feels ingenuine. I, I get it. Yeah, I really loved the the beginnings of his poems, though. Um, I think it was Chameleon that started with his description of like the the bully or whatever in his class, who wore a cowboy hat and had mm -hmm. a I wish a motherfucker would look in his eyes. He always brings his pet <laughs> chameleon. Yeah, I, I remember really liking that part. It was just when he got to the end of his poems that, when he got to the end, it always seemed a little weird and forced. I can kind of identify with that also, though, because I suck at writing endings to anything. You guys remember how my D&D campaign ended? <laughs> Rocky turned to poop. <laughs> no, was this the same campaign where, like, he sat on a portal and his butt cheek got sliced off? That campaign went very well. It didn't end, though, because, uh, yeah. Rafi stopped showing up in general. Um, and then we just didn't schedule anything after that. But I'm talking about the one that ended where, uh, the, the one with Beren, where you guys found, oh, found the yeah, demigod, Beren. and then they were like, well, you can join us, or, uh, oh, yeah. we can kill you. And then Rafi just kind of left and forgot about everything. I know my character walked out just because it was like, I, I found out you're responsible for what, you know, killed my parents. I can't, I can't join you yeah in good conscience yeah. even if you you do good like you are the reason that i i lost my parents so i can't align myself with you good day sir yeah i didn't i didn't really i'm not good at, at making conclusions for things it's hard dude so we'll see what happens at level 20 in this campaign mm -hmm. <clears throat> i do kind of have a plan though i just don't know if it'll grip you so i i found out that there's actually this thing where some people have a lot of difficulty with imagination 
and I feel like that's a very no like no duh kind of <laughs> statement. Like some people are better at matching things than other people, but like it's it goes further than that. It's like some people have trouble picturing situations or picturing um, things in their mind. Yeah, um, some people think literally, and some people think in like images and stuff, or like right. some people don't. It's like think of an apple, and they they can't actually like picture an apple in their head, and some people can. Aphantasia, the inability to create mental images. It's like if someone describes an image to you, you aren't able to uh, conjure that in your head. I would genuinely like to try and DM for someone that has aphantasia, just purely because I feel like it'd be a really good exercise for myself in terms of being a storyteller, um, not just as a DM, but like a storyteller, because Boots, like, I'm your current DM for my campaign, right? Yes. How do you feel about the way I describe things? I think it's fun. I think there are times we all as DMs, um, at least, you know, within our group, you, me, and Rafi primarily, we kind of slip up and don't give enough description in the smaller rooms. And we, we focus on it all at the very beginning of a dungeon. Like, we'll say the, um, the cave is very uh, damp and you can smell this and you can hear this. And then for the rest of our adventure through the cave, there will be no description of anything. Uh, I think that's something that that even in your current campaign uh, you you run into, but the descriptions that you do give are very good. Thank you. Yeah, I don't. It's it's like I'm trying to do it more. I'm trying to give it more details, like the smell of the cave, and like the sound of running water, or the feeling of the cold as it brushes over your skin and mm-hmm. pulls at your hair as you walk through the darkness. Like things like that are very. They make up a reality like i was i think i've said this to you guys before but i'm a firm believer that the language you use determines your reality so it's like it's similar to how um some people will move through the world in real life do their own thing not really pay attention to whatever and then they'll just go on their way but they feel extremely unfulfilled but then you have people that take their time and they recognize small things they become more appreciative of the world of them they're recognize things that other people may very well may never notice like for example when i started taking my morning coffee outside i noticed that the sparrows in our neighborhood will land on the stalks of dandelions just to eat the seeds and i had never even imagined that before and it was such a unique moment um that it completely changed the perspective that i had of our backyard you know it's it's a backyard it's whatever but it's just like Things like that tied into storytelling can go so much further. Man, having a backyard sounds nice. <laughs> so it sounds. It Rainbow, sounds. You, you have a nice big front yard. Wow. I. You do have a nice big front yard. I have. You just get people looking at you though. Yeah. You just look back. Hate, you just mad dog them. I hate front yards. <laughs> or you wave at them. I want a walled yard like you have. Yeah. Not even fence. Wall brick wall i was talking with my dad about um when i inevitably move back home because i want to go back to school um to get like um a supplemental associate's degree um that's that's a whole other thing but uh, i was talking to him about like wanting to build a canopy in our backyard in a nice little sitting area i'm really excited to do things like that yeah projects are fun yeah vivian so have you talked to any of your neighbors uh rafi mentioned that you made a friend yeah, I've talked to one of our neighbors. She's a single mom who lives across the way, and she's... I don't know what it is, but the people here have kind of like a southern 
twang to their southern drawl. Yeah, it's weird because we're not in the south. But Vivian's neighbor is named Georgia, and she's from Georgia, and you have to try her. No, no, cobbler. no, 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 no. My neighbor's name is Amy. <laughs> the person I the person I met at the park. Her name is Karen. Oh no! She did not act like a Karen. <laughs> she was very sweet, and she said she was, she lived in Georgia all her life, and she moved here about seven years ago. She loves it, and it's a great town to raise a family, and yada yada. Yeah, she was very sweet. So, Vivian, like, Rafi has said, like, with the interact, like, interactions he's had with people, like, they're like, you know, they're they're civil, they're they're nice, but it seems like it's there's like a falseness to it, or like it's just like they have dead eyes. <laughs> yeah, like how's has you know what I've noticed that with just the men, like the men act a little like I've asked for help at. Um, Walmart a few times mm-hmm. and um, every time I get a, a man employee but he like I don't know what it is they like they're friendly but they don't really show emotion mm-hmm. on their face like they say thank you you expect or I mean when they say you're welcome you kind of expect them to have like kind of a smile to their face but no mm-hmm. they just like they talk and like I don't know what it is like, they're polite, but in a monotone way. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know. But every woman I've met here has been, like, really friendly to me. I don't know what it is. Huh. Those men probably just hate women. I just read an interesting statistic that might speak to why the men are so quiet and dead inside. 75% of all suicides are male, and 40% of men will not talk ab- about their struggle with anyone. So all men are dead inside. <laughs> I feel like that that rings true for like a basically southern state like that, where it's like it's like especially from everything Rafi's shown us with like the hyper masculinity over there. Oh like, yeah, course- I did have a moment when I went to pick up furniture at the furniture store. I was driving the moving truck, mm-hmm. and there's a lot. There's nothing but men there, and they helped load the truck, and they're like, "Oh, I hope you're not driving." <laughs> <laughs> They're like, make Better sure you have the the man to help you unload this furniture. <laughs> okay, Bubba. That's the perfect laugh for them. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like those guys have some small peepees. <laughs> suffer from tiny peepee syndrome. <laughs> Did they slap their big bellies after they said it as they laughed? <laughs> they like to flip their boners up under their waistband, you know, because it makes them feel like they're loved. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I was um, so my roommate uh, Luke put me onto this very interesting concept. Um, have you guys ever heard about the eleven nations of the United States? Uh, kind of. No. Okay, so basically, it's this idea that was formulated by this guy named Colin Woodward, who's a, a writer, and he published this book called American Nations, claiming that there are eleven distinct cultures that have historically divided North America, including Canada. Um, but like, for example, um, Los Angeles. Um, Los Angeles is part of California, but California is part of two nations. So along the coastline, running up the coast, including um, Oregon and Washington, it makes up called the left coast. And the things that define that are um, pretty much the ideas and the concepts that you would expect it to have. Um, It's because it's been colonized by New Englanders and Appalachian Midwesterners. Um, It's a hybrid of Yankee utopianism. Um, and, you know, we harbor these ideas of, like, inclusiveness 
and being more progressive. But meanwhile, um, part like the, the the right the eastern more part of California pushing further into America, including um, Idaho, where Vivian and Rafi live, makes up the far west. Um, which is the conservative West. Um, so it's developed through large investment in industry, um, where inhabitants continue to resent the Eastern interests that initially controlled the investments of America. So it's it's very interesting. It's a really interesting concept, and I highly recommend you guys look it up. It's just fun. Uh, I've seen a few people here flying Confederate flags on their trucks, which is really stupid. <laughs> Again, <laughs> we're not in the South. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Considering that Idaho is like not part of the Confederacy, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, that's that just reinforces the idea that the Confederate flag is indeed racist. You're basically well, just a white I'm supremacy. sure you guys can understand a little more why Rafi hates it here. <laughs> oh no, I mean, I've understood yeah. it the whole time. It was always like the people were yeah. not what he wanted. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I always thought that was like part of what y'all were expecting going there. Like, I, I fully expected it. I didn't expect to meet friendly people here at all. I mainly came out here for the scenery and to save well, some money well, until we well. can find our forever place. Yeah, let's talk about that. Why do you? Uh, why did? Why did you think that you weren't going to meet anyone friendly in Idaho? Because it's a red well, state. Because yeah, it's a red state, and so is Arizona. What's that? I said so is Arizona. Yeah, fuck Arizona. <laughs> but double, but Rob, Rob, Arizona. I mean, mean, fuck that. But it's boost. way too hot there. Double yeah, Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> double Sunday was a very nice house with very hospitable people that I would never ever want to discuss politics with. They had pictures in the bedrooms of them with Dick Cheney. <laughs> These are not people that I want to be voting alongside. I, I fell off my bed at the house that I was staying at. You got to stay at Double Sunday. I stayed at, like, that pastor's house. Single Sunday. And I, like, single Sunday. Sad Brother Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> and I looked into the bed, and there was a, a freaking rifle. And I was like, oh, I see. I'm just going to go to sleep. Because if I touch anything, I will die. <laughs> I think I think it's, it's good for Rafi and... You as well, Vivian, to live in a place like Idaho, as uncomfortable as it is, because um, it's good to recognize that we've been living in an echo chamber for our entire lives, and you're exposing yourself to the mixed culture of the United States. I guess, like, my concern... I'm looking at it. I'm trying to look at the bright side, and, you know, I mostly keep to myself, and when I do interact with people, I make sure I don't really... You know, I'm polite, but I don't really give too much information about myself. Like, I have had a few people ask me where I'm from, and I just say Nevada. <laughs> don't say where you were from before that. I know. Have you gotten your license plates changed? <laughs> Not yet. I'm going to the DMV tomorrow. Yeah, I guess, like, living in a place like that and, you know, being, like, not white, I would find it hard to trust anybody there, no matter how friendly they were. Just because you never know how friendly they're being on the outside and then what they have planned outside of that. Yeah, what are those dead yeah, eyes totally. thinking? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, just going to the store with my dad into the market, we've gotten a few stares. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just brush it off. Yeah. Trump's America is weird. and I don't know what people are going to get emboldened to do whatever they want. 
Yeah. Be glad that you didn't move to uh, Portland or Seattle. Oh, man. What's wrong with Portland? <laughs> or Seattle? There are um, right-wing extremists moving into those areas and uh, holding people up at gunpoint. Oh. Well, I mean... Didn't yeah. They also, just get labeled as anarchist states. states as well. Yeah, yeah. Where uh, Seattle is an anarchist capital. Yeah, Portland, New York, and Seattle all got labeled that by the. Um, I think it was the DOJ. I think that sounds um, suspicious. No, it was someone in the Senate. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's so dumb. There's r- rumors being spread among the right wing that Antifa started the wildfires in, a, <laughs> Wait, really? in an attempt to burglarize people's homes. What? But 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 do you want to know something? All What's the up? people that they've been calling Antifa, uh, basically Black Lives Matters and all those people, yeah. were actually providing support to families throughout all of the wildfires by having, you know, food drives and other things uh, and helping evacuations, whereas uh, right-wing Proud Boys were creating roadblocks to prevent people from getting out to, yep. from, uh, yeah. 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 They've even had, like, they've had conflicts with the sheriffs, with which uh, people have had, people have pointed out many times when police officers have been getting a little too chummy with the Proud Boys and the Boogaloos, but um, for once there's a sheriff that is trying to evict all of them, but they all have, you know, big guns yeah i mean all that makes sense and like, they don't really it's... like when the uh the uh blm people come with guns yeah hey, only we, we can do that i've only seen three people with rifles at the gas station but i you assume they're going to cool what's that i said you could be one of those cool people too having your rifle and then you have scarlet and like her baby carrier in the front like, gun, what's honey? up, brother? You'd shoot them with the finger guns. You're like, sup, brother? Shoot any black people lately? Oh, and then God. if they respond to you, just say, you're a piece of shit. And then you leave. <laughs> Got you with the oldest trick in the book. <laughs> I tricked you. I wore my disguise like a chameleon, and I unmasked you as a racist. <laughs> oh, oh, God. God. So, okay, this is not quite on that, but like, I just, I had a super bad mouth brain moment when i was after i was leaving from picking up my gun where um so you know when you think of two things at the same time and you mash those up yeah um so like i was like loading up the gun in the trunk and like uh the guy was asking me like hey do you have any other questions for me about it or anything i'm like uh no i think i'm okay um and then at the time i was thinking um, but if I have any others, I'll shoot you a message. <laughs> and at the same time, I was thinking, um, I'll hit you up. So I said, I'll shoot you up. <laughs> and I, I like immediately recognized what I said. And I was like, I mean, I'll, 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 sh- I'll hit you up. He's like, I, I, got what, I think I got what you meant. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> what a great protean slip. I... I Felt like such a fucking idiot. Was this through? God, oh, was this through Brian? Yep. Yeah. Okay. That guy. Was he chill? He's a super chill guy. All right. Like, All right. he's like pretty mild mannered. Like, he was very helpful. And like, when I was like taking my test um last like a couple weeks ago to get the my license and everything. Like, a guy called him on the phone and was trying to set up an appointment, and he was all just like, oh, and I don't know anything about guns, so you can make fun of me if you want. And he was just like, no, no, we all started from somewhere, and 
just chill guy. Especially it's your guys' gun dealer. Yeah, basically, <clears throat> he's an FFL. Boots, did you get your gun fixed? I need to take it in to get deep cleaned and fixed. Um, they need to assess the damage. But before I can do that, I need to ensure that it is legal, which means that I need to get my uh, my firearms um, handling certificate. And also, I believe, get it registered with the California DOJ, because it's a, it's a family trade, but I don't think this gun has changed hands in the past uh, 60 to 80 years. So I'm pretty sure that things have changed a lot in the in that time. Well, I guess it depends if it's registered at all at this point. Yeah, I don't I don't want to bring them an unreg unregistered handgun, even if it is like an antique that probably can't shoot. I don't want to have to explain that to someone when they find an unregistered handgun in my possession. Pretty much my entire plan is not have an unregistered handgun in my possession at any time. I think that's a very <laughs> solid plan. Yeah. So I need to take it to Brian and um, see if he can guide me through some of that process. Then I'll take it to get it fixed up. Yeah. I mean, he's he's super down to like kind of explain stuff and help walk you through things if you don't understand it. Like he was explaining to me um, the, the differences in shotgun ammo. And just like how there's the whole different size of the bearings, you know, in the pellets inside, and all that stuff, and yeah, it's helpful. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So I went to this place called Bear World. Bear World. Yeah, it's like one of those drive-through wildlife sanctuaries. Oh, that's tight. Huh. huh. I was imagining either it was like a, a camping <laughs> store or a gay bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be cool. <laughs> No, like we just drive through, put your car in like, well, you don't even have to step on the gas. You just like let your car go and there's like bison and grizzly bears and black bears. Tight. It was really cool. I, mean, I don't think I would want to get too close to a grizzly bear, even if I'm in my car, but that still sounds tight. Yeah. Yeah. It was really scary. Because <laughs> <laughs> the workers there, like you, you have no protection other than, you know, just the windows on your car and. They're like, uh, keep your doors locked and your windows up. But I wonder how many people don't listen to them because it's not like they have like security or anything. Yeah, you know, there's got to be a bunch doing that. So I wonder how many like stupid asses didn't listen. Hey, hey, throw that Twinkie at that one. See what he does. Poke <laughs> that bear with a stick. <laughs> Grab the broom out of the back. Give him a good poke. See what he does. I just think about that scene from Dodgeball when they're doing the car wash, and there's that the dude with the big beer belly like rubbing his belly button, and like the kid is like washing the tires, and he's like, "Yeah, boy, get in there, get in there good and deep." Oh god, I forgot yeah. about that. <laughs> I think for... it was the grunting that got me. <laughs> Fucking bubbling that back up to the surface of my memories. You can dodge a bear. You can dodge Sorry. a ball. Oh, how is Bear World, Vivian? But she, oh, did I miss that? That's what she was just just talking about. Holy shit! Am I that bad? <laughs> yes, I am. Sorry, I was like. As your DM, I can tell you, time. yes, you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's okay. We're oh, all I'll like. Never know sometimes. how it was until I listened to this podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs>
She's not she saying it again. <laughs> when you just zone out and go, and you're texting, and you come back, and you're like, wait, what happened to the conversation? We're in a yeah. completely another place, and I felt like I was paying attention, but obviously that was not the case. That yeah, happens one, to me One of these all things the time. You, have, you have text saved for later to read. The other one is happening, and then it's gone. Unless we're recording it's it. smoke. But I could just cut out this entire section and never release it. I think that would be very mean of you to do to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it would also be very funny, because I'm sure you would just put in this section right here. <laughs> You're going to do it, aren't you? Nah. <laughs> nah, I'm too nice for that. <laughs> yes, you are. You're, you're a great guy. Uh, so what's been on everyone's minds lately? The downfall of America? Pretty much. Uh, oh, Is fall oh, or fall so, coming? Yeah, it's, it's fall right now. <laughs> yeah, summer ended yesterday. Today is the first day of fall. Yeah. I can't um, believe September's almost fucking over. In letter news, I was listening to the radio on the way home today. And apparently, uh, Los Angeles County has reached the point where if we hold our numbers for another week, we will slip into tier two. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's probably yeah. why I could get back to work then. Yeah, yeah. That's why, yeah, part of it is they're opening movie theaters and gyms and, like, spas. We'll see how this goes. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I think San Diego's been in tier two and they're getting ready to slip into tier three. And San Bernardino is supposed to be getting ready to go into tier two as well. So it's getting better slowly because I feel like, I don't know. I don't know what to attribute that I to. I really feel like gyms should be a tier four thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's a yeah. lot of people in a closed space with recycled air breathing heavily. Yeah. Yeah. One thing, so we've been in phase three for a while. One thing that they've done with gyms is they uh, limit the amount of people that are in at a particular time like uh, the rec center normally the gym will have uh like 75 people they have spots for 10 people for an hour and mm. then every hour slot they have a 15 minute cleaning window that they have a team of people that come in and clean all of the equipment uh, in that 15 minutes or all the equipment that's available to use basically and then they let the next next people next group in that's cool i kind of doubt that um the gyms in orange county will be operating like that yeah who knows i mean that's how uh my friend who lives up in vancouver in bc that's how her gyms are so there's lots of precedents for it to be that way but you know we'll see especially in orange county because that's a red utopia yes um, yeah huntington beach uh, is terrible yeah um and it's it's interesting. I saw something today that was like uh, it's now becoming a rural and red problem, and it's no longer localized in cities. Yeah. And actually, most cities are on a down downturn. That's good. Yeah. So I mean, maybe Trump had some sense of herd immunity, but you know, he had to sacrifice two hundred thousand people to get there. Oh yeah. Yeah. So um. Are are we going to revolt, or are we 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 just going r- right in with how things are going? I think we're just all waiting to see how the election goes. Yep, I think the whole yeah. world is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure if he wins, even if it, you know, if he wins, I'm sure an investigation will be like way way into it. But I don't know. This election, 
isn't really going to end when election day is over in my opinion there's going to be so much speculation and so much conflict between it like there's a good chance we're going to end up looking like belarus right now where they have like a hundred thousand people protesting outside the capital right now their capital rather but they their leader right now just entered his sixth term and he really is defined as the last dictator in europe so we'll see we'll see how it goes here yeah so this is how i envision it playing out November 3rd, Trump is leading elections. He calls, he claims victory at the end, uh, on the evening of November 3rd. Then, over the next three to four days, the remainder of the votes come in, and now Biden is the, the presidential nominee, uh, or nom- not nominee, but... Uh, the president-elect? President-elect, there we go. And he, then Trump is going to claim, you know, fake news recount whatever and is going to bitch cry and moan and try and basically rile up the constituents to more or less probably fight each other um or like things are like things are definitely going to get hairy no matter what that's Uh, kind of why i got a gun yeah not at all worried about like like, what the politics at the top are going to be around that time it's all worrying what's about about what's going to happen at the street level. Yeah, it's going to be a powder keg. It's already yeah. a powder keg. Mm-hmm. There's going to be that two-month period between November 3rd and January 20th um, with him still in the White House, you know? Um, and what, how much damage is he, is he going to do in that period? How many executive orders and pardons is he going to pass off in that period of time? Right? Um, it's like a reverse... Like... You know how they say the first hundred days of like a presidency um, determines the tone for the rest of the the term. Yeah. I feel like that's how it's going to be, but in reverse. I bet he's going to keep trying to push for another justice, another Supreme Court justice. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to get it before um, January. <sighs> I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if he has it before election. I wouldn't be surprised. Since um, Romney just came out in favor of it. Of course he did. He's he's been the one that people have been counting on because he's he's opposed to the party in a lot of things recently but he just came out saying that he he thinks that it would be a good idea to bring in a new one before the end of the term yeah it's too much focus on like my team versus your team versus like hey what's great for the <laughs> you know why we're here yeah this hasn't been about that i feel like for a while yeah not always i just feel like it's really picked up yeah, if we can go back to, like, the late 1700s. It wasn't about party <laughs> like, politics feel, back then. I feel like the last time America was truly, like, unified on anything was on September 11th. Yeah? Well, even then, um... Like a tragedy for people to People unite. were very, very... Everyone agreed that it was a bad thing, that it was a terrible tragedy. But there was still, uh lot of separation about what should be done about it because there were a lot of people that were going you know straight to islamophobia and a lot of people that were rushing to to defend muslims um against those people i mean rushing into um the war a year later i think tons of people opposed that i remember that announcement happening and my parents talking about how everything's gonna go to shit Whereas I'm pretty sure that there were a ton of families throughout America that were like, yeah, we're going to go get them. Get them. Get them. 
I feel extremely fortunate that I live in Long Beach versus living in Rexburg. <laughs> um, being an Asian American, because I, I know, I just know in my core that I would have by now encountered a lot of hate crimes, more likely than not, uh, in the face of coronavirus. Probably, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I haven't heard anything. No one said anything to me here, fortunately. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you haven't yeah. had to deal with any of that. Yeah, yeah. Really lucky. I've heard stories from other um, other Asian friends that have encountered stuff like that. Like, they've been spit on or they've been, like, accosted in, like, the market. Yeah, people in red states have been for just it. beat up. Yeah. I'm just like as this as this year goes by, I just get more and more tired of humanity as a whole. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. We should all just burn. I'm extremely hopeful. Waiting for Yellowstone to blow You're up. You're not wrong, Josh. <laughs> but like, look, like look. Uh, what am I trying to say? I am extremely hopeful in terms of the culture and the direction that our culture is heading. I recognize that we live in an echo chamber, and that. Living in California, we're within a bubble of safety, um, despite it being a purple state, not just a blue state. But um, if you look at the way that culture is heading, it's becoming more directed towards mindfulness and acceptance and trying to recognize the value of others rather than just the value of the individual. And I think if it continues on that and that becomes more mainstream, just like how mental health has become more mainstream and more um, accepted and less stigmatized, then the chances are that our perspectives on the world will be able to shift in a healthy manner. But that's going to take such a long time. But, you know, that's that's part of the effort. You know, it takes time. Change takes time. The old guard, you know, the old people, they're going to be phasing out pretty soon. Phasing out being a very loose term. Take that as you will. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then our generation is going to be taking over. But if you look at the way that generation after us is, they're amazing human beings. They are super impressive. They they have faced gun violence in their schoolyards. They have faced racism. They have faced now this shutdown. You know, they're having their graduations and their rites of passage taken away. But that's forming them in such a way, in such a face of adversity, that they are going to be equipped with the tools that we never had. Like, I feel like our parents did not equip us, our generation, properly to face trauma and pain. Because, like, our parents, the way that they were raised was that you just swallow your suffering and you just deal with it. And then that was passed on to us from them in a more watered-down way because they didn't know how to teach us otherwise. Yeah. I definitely feel like I was I was never really properly taught how to manage my anger and my frustrations and anything. And it's just like, I was always just told, oh, you're just choosing to be angry. And just like Damn. never giving, being taught, okay, well, you're angry. What do you want to, like, why are you upset? What do you want to do to feel better about it? Or how can you improve your mood? It's always just like, oh, you're choosing to be angry. And then quoting scripture at me, and you know, God didn't give us an angry soul or like something. And I'm like, this, this didn't help me and it hasn't prepared me for, for a lot of stuff. And I will say, like, I, I feel like I've, I've led like a very, like, positive, like, upbringing. Like, my parents loved me, they took care of me. I feel like, you know, in that area, I wasn't prepared, but like all in all, I'm very fortunate in what I experienced, you know, being a kid. Yeah. But I feel like, yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head and that we, our generation wasn't really prepared to deal with stuff like that because their generation wasn't, you know, taught how to deal with that. 
Our generation really wasn't prepared for a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They took away adulthood. our shop class. They took away so many of our practical skills uh, just Tons so we can learn how to take, budget cuts. take tests. Yeah. Like, people are so worried about, you know, defund the police when they ha don't even realize we've been defunding education since, like, 98. Yeah. Like, because I feel like we were raised to, like, oh, you need to go to college if you want to have a good life. <laughs> Fuck go that. School. Fuck <laughs> now, that. like, everyone in our generation is stuck with, like, these horrible student loans, and they're not doing what they went to school for. It's just... And the other thing... The other thing with that is like the people that did go to school and did get an education are now saying, hey, now that education that you told me to get has informed me, hey, the things we're doing are destroying the planet or these things don't make sense. This isn't how a government like a democracy is run or anything like that, that they got with that education. And now they're everyone is like saying or not. Everyone, yeah. They're like, oh, you think you're so much better because you went to school now and they don't listen to. I remember a time when we were at Rafi's apartment and, you know, we were we were underage drinking um, and his mom said something to me that just like stuck with me. I like I still carry it with me this day where she um, it was, I don't know. I got some fact wrong or something and she totally called me out on it. And she said, I thought you went to college. I thought you graduated. And I was just sitting there. I'm like, I did but that has nothing to do with this and i didn't have any way to respond to it because you know i was still expected to respect her but like how do you respect somebody yeah, yeah. how do you respect somebody that thinks that way i feel like <laughs> respecting someone just because they're old is kind of a tired thing i feel like back in the day you respected your elders because they managed to survive that long like that was a feat like damn you got to be 30 wow what the fuck did you do <laughs> you know like yeah it's, it was something you can respect because that was a feat but now it's just like okay well you managed to be that old and you haven't done anything but you still respect you you expect me to respect you for no reason other than you're older than me like yeah i don't know respect to me like, oh wow <laughs> <laughs> like sorry that just like blew my blew my mind on the whole like um how we uh, how like our generation has approached things versus previous generations and the whole in the sense of like now to be ignorant is what like you have to purposely try to be ignorant um just being yeah like you have to try to not know things in this day and age and so people who are ignorant are frustrating and make you you know squeeze your head because they don't make any fucking sense and also the whole, like, the people that I find that I have respect for are people who have done things or are knowledgeable about subjects or are passionate about something. Not somebody who, you know, is 97 and is mad at the world because it doesn't look the same way it did when he was 40. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Go cry somewhere else. Kind of, like, that's not, that's not something deserving of respect. Age... Oh, cool! You you managed to not get a disease that killed you, and like you rolled the lucky genetic dice is more or less now somebody who is of advanced age, generally speaking. It's our job to set up the world for the generations that come after us, and I, I feel like that's such a 
like that's a statement that doesn't really need to be stated but it really does because you know if now that we're looking at like education again and we're 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 the generation that really did voice our concern about the arts being taken away or the defunding of schools and things like that and i think it'd be so beneficial to the the next generations to come if we install programs in our schools like how cool would it be if when you were in school when you're in high school they had a mandatory class just like math science english but that taught you about morality and ethics and mental well-being and spirituality they gave you the tools you needed outside of these stem subjects yeah i think it'd be great i think it'd be great to really implement a lot more like actual life applicable lessons in high school and you know even earlier on because a lot of what we are taught (laughs) doesn't end up being applicable if you don't go a specific direction like where's that where's the balance your checkbook class or like how do you set up a, a mortgage or any like useful skills that like you don't like know automatically yeah i think as far as the the morality all the spirituality especially thing um you you would run into a problem of of conflicting interests where people are going to say why aren't you teaching my morality in that class and so having having like an intro to philosophy class would be would be great yeah but calling it a morality class would be a, a yeah bit of an issue it's yeah. just an idea like uh luke i've had the benefit of watching luke teach on wednesdays because i work from home on wednesdays and he's a high school ap chemistry teacher and you know when what was your high school chemistry experience like Oof. i do not remember <laughs> uh I, I had i had a really cool teacher who um he was a geologist he worked on oil rigs um got me through the the like introductory chemistry class really well but then i went for ap and i got a chem i got a teacher that um had no control over the classroom and spent most of the time uh out on sick leave because he had injured his back so i basically didn't get any education for ap chem yeah i got stupid uh conglomerate science classes all of high school so i never got chemistry for a year it was always like Here's a lesson on chemistry once every six months. Hmm. Like, I, I, I know the periodic table mostly because of seventh grade science. And yeah, like my chemistry. That was one subject that I did not get a lot of time doing. The only yeah. science class I ended up take, actually taking, I think, was physics my senior year. Yeah. So, Mac, what was Luke saying? So, what Luke does, because he's teaching remotely, um, he teaches at Millican, he has his students, he basically introduces them to, like, what they're going to go over through the day, pretty basic stuff, but then he says, we're going to talk about um, a scientist that achieved something in the field of science, hmm. um, you know, and he gives a little bit of history and background on it, and he's also very respectful about it. Um, last Wednesday, he was giving a presentation on a scientist that had a lot of abuse in their life, uh, uh, domestic abuse. And he prefaced it by saying, if you experience this in your life or you feel that you will be uncomfortable for this, I encourage you to leave and just come back in maybe like three minutes. And so he's he's very mindful about these things. And after that, he, he also likes to sprinkle in 
sprinkle in like these ideas that really should be taught in schools like global warming it's not part of the curriculum in, for a lot of places but he makes it part of the curriculum and mm. he he's wants to encourage them to like he's going to give them like credits to write letters to our congressman about like not even necessarily um just about global warming but just what they're concerned about like whether it be like racism or gun violence or gun control um he's encouraging them to do that or just send a letter saying like these are the things that keep me up at night and i feel like just the fact of doing that makes a huge difference do you think it's a teacher's place to encourage students to be political i think it's a teacher's place to encourage them to speak for themselves I think it's absolutely a high school teacher's place to encourage students to be political. I think it's it's a necessity not to be political in a specific direction, yeah. but just to be to political. Yeah, exactly. Because otherwise you get people that they, they don't want to participate in the system, they don't care about the system, yeah. but they'll still be affected by it. They just They just won't be helping anything. It's not a fact of making them think politically it's a fact that you're making them think for themselves hmm. what are your thoughts on that um i didn't I really have an opinion more the parents job too yeah absolutely but you have parents that like our generation i feel is gonna have a big problem with being present um you know obviously obviously our parents their generation had a huge problem with being present. You had a lot of like parents leaving their families, but like we're so career-minded at this point that it's really hard to be there to express these ideas to our kids in a healthy way. You know, it's it's so matter of fact to us that to a child they don't understand. They will never understand like why we feel strongly or why we'll say like oh, like, fuck Trump, or something like that. Like, uh, to a young child, it's just a person on the television. And as they get older, they just... They're going to embody these ideas that they need to dislike somebody without reasoning behind it, unless they're they're taught these things. But a lot of parents will not recognize that. They're not mindful of it. But teachers are, if not more, responsible for the development of kids. They are already engaging the parts of their brain where they learn and develop. And if they take these opportunities then they're more likely to reach them on a a level. Like, my favorite high school teacher, he taught uh, forensic science. And, you know, it was a cool class in itself. But it was the moments when he would just, like, talk to me about, like, my interests. And, um, like, I would talk about camping, and he would tell me about his childhood camping. And it connected, and it made me want to engage with the material a lot more. Um, Like, those things make a difference. Because, Josh, when... Sorry, Rainbolt, when we were... uh, in the Tribe of Talkwitz thing, um, we were talking about how it makes it totally worth being a Boy Scout as we age. Um, it's the same thing with kids, right? Like, it's totally worth it when you see a child develop and then believe in themselves. Oh, yeah. Like, a couple things that I've realized in my mid to late 20s. The fact that I got to go to Europe multiple times as a kid is fucking awesome. I learned a shit ton that I probably never would have learned in school um, as well as got to experience a lot of different cultures and also yeah I got to go to Europe and then but at the time as a kid I was like fucking hate this shit I want to be like one of the one of the times we went it was I was supposed to it was my first summer working at, at camp 
and I only got to work training week and the first week of camp. Or no, 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 no. I only got to work training week, so I didn't even get to work with scouts. So, um, but I had to go up a week earlier because I was working uh, horsemanship or whatever. So I was up there bef- a week before the rest of the, the staff got there, and then I was there for a week with staff, and then I had to leave to go to Europe, and I was pissed at the time, like live. And then, but looking back now, I'm like, man, I got to go to Europe and I shattered my elbow on a beach on an island <laughs> driving a dune buggy in Greece and paid $33 for two sets of x-rays, a wow. sling and a cast. God damn it. And 18 <laughs> of those dollars was for the sling. Oh my god. <laughs> oh man. This was an ER visit. Like jeez. On a fucking island in Greece. Parker went to the ER and got a bandage put on his finger because they couldn't put <laughs> stitches, and it cost him four hundred dollars. Oh, I remember that. God. Yeah, yeah. So, God. Yeah. I forgot where I was going with the whole. What were we talking about? I got derailed there. Child, child development. Childhood development. Yes. And, and then with like the whole scouts thing, like now going out and doing, like going and doing festivals. Like, being able to, like, I could set up a tent in no time at all, as well as, you know, do all of the normal kind of camping stuff without even, like, having to really think about it because I did it so much in Scouts. And, like, at the time, I was kind of, like, part of me did it because I enjoyed it, and the other part of me did it because, like, I wanted to, like, prove that I could do it to my dad because like my brother only made it to I think first class and then you know he was like fuck this and gave up on it anyways so like it didn't have super positive I didn't have super positive reasonings for being there as a kid but now looking back I'm like man I learned so much stuff that as an adult I'm finding way super useful not even just at festivals but now when I go hiking and backpacking and I have so many different hobbies that I can do that all stem from scouts, like snowboarding. I learned from scouts. We went up and like, I went up with my troop and learned how to snowboard and I still do that to this day and it's super fun. And hiking is like one of my favorite hobbies. I do that pretty regularly. Super bummed I didn't get to do that this summer though. Um, And I only got to do it a couple times. And as well as just the like interpersonal skills and the um, confidence that like you know if shit goes wrong I can probably figure it out. Yeah, I don't know interpersonal development for children is super important. Oh, like yeah. I know for me the scouting that's 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 like the biggest service it gave me. It gave me self confidence. Yeah. Um, but not everybody has the benefit of being in the scouts. Like, and some people scouting is a super negative experience. Yeah, it is, and it really shouldn't be. Um, but you know, that's, that's the whole beast in itself. Yeah. Like, um, so you guys, uh, Boots and Josh and Vivian, how, how did you, like, what resources did you have? Or like, at what point did you recognize that you were given the tools to reach the confidence level that you have or, or not reach? Yeah, I'm not quite sure I understand what you're asking. Well, like, 
for example, Boots, you were in marching band. Like, that must have had some effect on your life. Like, how Boy yeah. Scouting taught me that I am capable of being a leader and I'm totally worthy of learning new skills and making new friends despite, like, my shortcomings. Like, I literally yeah. watched that 70s show before I really engaged with the Boy Scouts to learn social skills. Marching bands did give me some of that. It did give me a, a sense that I could be a leader, but at the same time, you can only be a leader to people who take things seriously. If I can't get someone to take something seriously, then I'm not a good enough leader to lead them, I guess. And a lot of people in high school marching band are not taking that shit seriously. Well, you want to have your mind blown? What? So that is the mark of a great leader, is recognizing that you are not the right man for that job, and that there's probably someone better fitted. Each person is a tool in somebody's belt. You know, it sounds kind of, like, shitty to say that, but... But, I mean, all that really leaves me with is that 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 wasn't the job for me. And that doesn't, uh... That's not a step towards being confident. No, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that you... You have an area of expertise that other people do not. Sure. Uh, I guess I am more proficient at playing trumpet than most people. Significantly more than most people. But it didn't... It never really gave me confidence. I actually have this talk with Amanda a lot where she talks about finishing a a dance performance or um, a difficult figure skating routine or show or whatever they call it and having this feeling like yeah I did that and she's always amazed that I have never really had that feeling. Like I've I've played concerts um, I enjoy the feeling of playing music, absolutely. I've played solos, and sometimes I've nailed them. But I've never finished a thing and felt, yeah, I did that. So I, I, I don't have that confidence level that she has, or that maybe you have. And I don't, I don't know if that's a, an issue with my experiences and yours, or if it's just a, a part of who I am. Absolutely. Did someone just join us? Yes. Yeah. Hey, man. What up, Brent? Welcome to our podcast. (laughs) Hi, I'm Boots. So you want to talk about childhood trauma with us? (laughs) Your your name is Brent? Yes, sir. Brent, what makes you feel confident? Um... (laughs) (laughs) What the hell did I just walk into? It's our our first (laughs) surprise guest. Brents, everyone give him a hand. Yay! Yay! I mean, Yay. assuming you don't count Vivian, because. Well, she's not oh, surprised. Vivian's... She's not yeah. surprised. We knew she was going to be here. True. She's part of the league. Of extraordinary adults. Men, children. So, <laughs> so, I guess we pass it to Josh. Josh, do you feel like you're a confident adult? I mean, like. I believe I started to get more confident once I got more settled into doing massage. Up until that point, I never had any fucking confidence ever. Like I I still struggle, but I feel like I've I've gotten a lot more confidence since getting more secure in there. Like I don't know, something about like I think having to f- like force myself to interact with people really ended up helping me because I never I've always been super shy and like talking to new people or people i don't really know has always been a major major struggle yeah and the fact that i have to be like okay well i'm gonna be touching you now for an hour and talking like and i've never met you i don't know who you are like 
Kind of helping yes. me out of my shell. That's it's definitely a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like a form of immersion therapy. Let me just touch you for an hour and get to know you. Yes. But like, Hi there, stranger. Take your clothes off. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, eventually it gets to the point where, like, okay, well, this is just work. And, like, it stops yeah. being, like, really a thing. But, yeah, and I think, like, I think another big thing that helped make me more confident was getting into better shape. Because that was, like, one of the other big things that really diminished my confidence was just constantly hating my, like my appearance just like looking in the mirror and being fucking disgusted with what i saw back at me and even then i even like getting into better shape i still fucking hate myself and i hate looking in the mirror and seeing myself but it's not as strong as it was before i feel yeah, that there's always something new to focus on yeah but like from... i will say oh go on boots oh well, i was just gonna say from my outside perspective it seems to me like uh the biggest thing that affected your confidence in a positive way was mia Oh yeah, that's true too. Yeah, that's the other yeah. huge thing. Like, like actually... getting married changed you. I I don't way. think it was getting married that changed you, Josh. I I do. I agree with Boots wholeheartedly. That's when I noticed a complete change in you. You you completely turned around, became more confident, picked up more like skill building things. You're smiling a lot more, and you already smell a shit ton. <laughs> um, <laughs> <a> smiley <laughs> motherfucker over here. Um, but I, I think it's. It's not that yeah. the, you got married or that you started dating someone. It's that you started with the right person. I think that definitely helped. But I, I think, I think honestly, the the big part was getting a relationship. Because honestly, that was something that was like, oh, like I want this super bad, and I don't think I'll ever get it. And like it just, it was always something I wanted and was out of reach. And the fact that I attained it was like, like a, a form of like validation, I guess, in a way. Yeah, your dad like, told us yeah. all about your path. Oh, oh fucking God. God, my dad. This is so <laughs> awkward. As your groomsman, I apologize for not saying anything. It, it's, you know, it is what it is, and everyone got a good chuckle out of it. It was so good. Oh, he put Josh on blast shit out of at me. the wedding ceremony. But, like, during the vows, dude. <laughs> he was praying <laughs> for up. you. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, Dad. <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> wait, wait, can can you can you uh, help us relive that moment for us, Josh? No, no, I can't. I've already like purged it from my memory. I don't remember everything you said. I don't. Like, oh, I mean, that's, I think that's like another topic. But something else with me that I'm kind of realizing is like I have certain memories of things pretty strong, but for the most part, I don't remember a lot. Like from my oh. childhood, from like even a couple years ago. There's so many things where I'm like, I actually think back and I can't remember that. Yeah. I'm just like well going know. back to depression if you were depressed it can affect your memory probably that I've been I'm pretty massively depressed like <laughs> um especially now with everything going on it's just it's just kind of tanked a lot of the confidence I was I was building up like sure yeah it's 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 been a difficult time and it's taken away a lot that's I think helped that was helping to make me feel more confident just it's it's a lot more time for self-reflection and i don't i don't need that yes i i fully understand i used whenever i was in a, a like bad depressive state in the past i would just tell people that i have too much time to think yeah and i mean this this podcast listening back on it is god it's hell it is hell <laughs> but yeah that's that's where i would say a lot of my confidence ended up coming from was from work from mia from getting into sh like better physical shape like that really boosted all kind of came together to boost me up 
What about you, Vivian? What made you the the confident woman you are? I mean, I wouldn't say call myself confident. I don't think I ever have been. Maybe when I started dating Rafi, it got better because he kind of pushed me out of my shell. I mean, you guys remember how I was when you first met me. I wouldn't say a word. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think so you didn't say anything at all like, our first encounter. I was so afraid of saying the wrong thing or like having... I was afraid of you guys hating me and I really didn't want that because, you know, I, I love Rafi and I, you know, it was important to me that you guys liked me as well. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'd say he really helped me open up and become more comfortable with myself. And Rafi's also just um, great at getting, like, the best out of people, I think. Yeah, he is. Yeah. I don't know, he's so charming and... <laughs> He's, he's got really a charisma good at talking him. to people. Yeah, that's what it he's is. He's Mr. Charisma. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess, but then becoming a mom kind of shattered my confidence a little more, like any confidence that I had gained. That's interesting. And, what you, yeah, what well, I mean, a lot of stuff changes. Like, your emotions change. The way you look at life changes once you become a parent, and then... You know, the physical changes too. It's just, it's a lot. But I'm sure, I'm sure I'll get over it one day. You gotta get some confidence in your parenting skills. Yeah. I guess. That's that's kind of important for Scarlet. I love, well, yeah. I mean, I trust that I'm a good mom because, you know, Scarlet's awesome. She's, every day she's learning something new and she's smart as hell and she's, She's growing healthy, and that makes me feel that makes me feel confident being it's a parent. It's so interesting hearing you talk about raising Scarlet compared to how Rafi talks to me about raising Scarlet. <laughs> Why? What does he say? Well, I, I, it feels wrong to talk about Rafi without him here. <laughs> but um, he he first of all he thinks you're doing an extraordinary job. He thinks that you are a godsend, a warrior, and like a goddess. But um, he's more, he, he attributes all good things that Scarlet has in her to you. And not just through genetics, but the fact that you have taught her compassion and the fact that you have taught her kindness and to be tender, as well as how to be silly. Um, but when Rafi looks at it, he, he doesn't see that. He just sees himself as the breadwinner because um, he's, you know, he has to work all the time. And he's, he does get broken up about that and, you know, um, I do my best to comfort him as a friend, but it's such a stark difference compared to how you guys talk about each other. Strange. I mean, that part of my life that changed, you know, I, I was working ever since I was 16, and then all of a sudden I'm not working anymore, and it's just, it's so strange. I'm still getting used to it, and I do feel bad about Rafi missing out on all this time with Scarlet because he has to provide for us yeah yeah i feel a little bit of the guilt i don't think oh you you'll feel what you feel but i'll tell you what i told rafi um winter's coming first of all (laughs) winter's coming but i imagine scarlet is going to remember very specific things not necessarily in the sense that she'll remember them clearly but she'll remember how she felt um, and it definitely sounds like she's going through her terrible twos right now, from what Rafi was telling me. Um, but like, 
when it snows, you guys aren't going to have anything but each other. Because there are going to be times where you're more likely going to be snowed in um, since you're living in Idaho, and it's like already 40 degrees at night, and it's only September. But as Scarlet grows, she's going to have to form these understandings of the world. And as parents, more likely than not, you will go unappreciated. And not to say that it, it's going to be like that for sure, but like she's going to remember these things as she ages and when she looks back one day she's going to see you guys in a totally different light um it's true like what our parents would say like i remember my dad would always say you you will understand when you get older and i thought that was just something he said he like picked up you know it's like the same as saying like i'll give you something to cry about and i asked him like what does that mean he says i don't know my dad said that to me (laughs) you know so it, it made it real easy to dismiss a lot of stuff he said and that's what led to a lot of conflict with my dad but dude that means stop crying or i'll hit you that's that's what that means seriously Uh, well yeah i don't know like (laughs) you're saying and i know like scarlet gives rafi a hard time because she's you know she just wants her mommy right now she's going through all these emotional changes and she's growing and but you know like i know it it makes rafi a little sad but she's gonna grow out of it yeah, it's all like phase, yeah. ups and downs and all that. So that um, that doctor that I mentioned earlier, Doctor um, Dan Al, I forgot his name, Dan Doctor Allen. Yeah, well, he he has a lot of seminars, and I was listening to one of them while I was working today, and um, he was telling me this story about he was hanging out with his granddaughter. Um, up at like a cabin that they have and they're watching some birds, some eagles fly overhead and the granddaughter looked at him and said Pop Pop, um, can I ask you a question? And he says, yes of course you can ask me anything. She says do you know that you have a big nose? And you know the audience laughed and he says you know, and I said well yes I, I recognize I have a big nose why do you ask? And she says oh no I'm just wondering but pop pop i'm gonna ask you another question he says okay and she's like she's supposedly like four or five at that time but she says do you ever feel sad about your big nose and he he just basically launches into this tangent about how children have while they're so capable of just like saying things at the surface level they're also capable of recognizing like sadness and emotions like that it's just it's amazing. It's amazing that as children we had that at one point, and at some point we lost that. I think that's something worth thinking about. That's one of the uh, that's one of the most basic ideas of social behavior, right? Like if we didn't have language, that's all we would have is is like emotion that's being displayed through our face and body language. So it's it's kind of an instinct thing that we train ourselves to get rid of not like not like we're trying to get rid of it but we replace it with this more complex system that allows us to understand more complex ideas in the language. Yeah. I'd say that this is definitely one of the uh, the deeper episodes that we've had so far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it feels good. It feels cathartic. Hey, you doing over there, Vivian? For me? It's um 10 o'clock there? Yeah. But I said, when are we going to have a spooky episode? Oh, oh no, you kind of broke up there, yeah. 
Oh, sorry. It's all good. I'm down with a spooky episode. I mean, last time we had um we had Rafi talking about his weird mirror experience. Yeah. But we could uh, we could all gather up our our favorite ghost stories from our real lives or from I got uh, the internet. Spooky experiences. Nice. We can. That's for another. That's for another time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually gonna start getting ready. Okay. For bed. All right. I'm pretty tired. But this was fun. Absolutely. Good to have you on. I hope I didn't bore you guys. Nah. No. Thanks for joining us. No, Feel not. free to join I... anytime in the future. I would love to have you cool. here next week, too. And Mia would be a good addition as well, I feel. Well, that'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, I'll talk to you later. Have a good later. night. Night, night. Dude, that means stop crying or I'll hit you. <laughs>